Well, good morning out there, everyone. Nice to see so many of you. Wasn't sure how many were going to come after last week, so uh, glad, glad to see you here. Uh, somebody close to me uh, last week had heard my sermon online and said, uh, you know, the young men in the church are going to kill you after that sermon, uh, warning women to be so uh, <laughs> safe around them. And I said, well, wait till they hear this week. <laughs> So that's where we are this week. Uh, so before we get into the message, uh, let's go to the Lord. Lord God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. And Lord, uh, when, we, when we preach these messages, sometimes there are some hard things in there. And yet, Lord, we have to deal with, uh, with everything that your word uh, tells us. And Lord, uh, we do want to follow you closely. And uh, Lord, when we're tempted to drift, we want to be studiers and knowers of your word so that uh, your word will hold us uh, into the line of uh, belief and conduct that you would have for us. So come this morning, Lord, and help us to understand uh, your word and help us to conform our behavior accordingly. We pray in your son's matchless name. Amen. All right. Well, last week we looked at some of these attributes of a godly uh, woman from the life of Ruth in uh, chapters one and two of Ruth. And And this week, we're going to look at attributes of a godly man, and we'll be looking at Boaz. And of course, last week, we were kind of uh, tailoring that message to uh, young women. Uh, This week, we're going to tailor the message more uh, towards young men. Uh, But really, this message is uh, for all men. This is not only a young man's message. And so uh, Boaz was an older man. Uh, He was much older than Ruth, and his character had been shaped uh, by a lifetime of walking with God uh, and, and so when we talk about Boaz, we're talking about, about a man who has uh, lived his life of faith. And, and so that's the kind of man we're looking at today. Now, most of you know my story, and, and you may think, especially you young people, that it's hypocritical of me to stand up here and say that you should live a life uh, worthy of God, right? Uh, that you should walk with God now, when you know that I personally did not walk with him uh, when I was a young man. Uh, you might say, sure, now you've had uh, your fun, and now you want to tell us uh, to walk as a Christian and deny, yourself the, or deny ourselves the same fun uh, that you had. Isn't that hypocritical? And I would say to you uh, that I don't want to be hypocritical, so just let me tell you uh, as honestly, as brutally honestly uh, that I can, that I did live a life of sin at your age, and, uh, and sin seems fun for a time. But let me tell you this, and I mean this uh, in all sincerity, uh, I regret all of it, and I would, I would undo all of it if I could. I would, I'm ashamed of, of all of it, and so there is always a price tag attached to our sin, and the bill always comes due uh, in one form or another. So uh, did I live a life of sin? I did. Did I pay for it? Yeah, I did. Uh, God says that I will discipline those whom I love, and if he loves you, you may experience his discipline if you live a life of sin. So Uh, I'm trying to spare you from that. I could have spared myself from uh, countless embarrassment and pain and and misery if I had walked according to his will uh, at the time uh, when I was your age, and and yet I didn't. I would love to have those wasted years back uh, and be able to give those years to God, uh, those 20 years that I did not walk with him. I thought I was having fun, but really uh, I was searching for significance and meaning in all kinds of, of sin Uh, which was not healthy for me, uh, and I was living apart from God, and I don't want any of that for you. But the thing that's amazing about God is that we are all a product of the decisions that we make and the the, the past that we've walked, and God can still take the mess that we've made of our lives and make 
beauty out of it. You know, 20 years ago, it would have been absolutely and totally, in the words of Vicini from The Princess Bride, uh, inconceivable, right, that I could be a pastor of a church today. Uh, absolutely inconceivable that that could happen. And yet, God is such a God of grace uh, that he's able to make beauty out of great mess. And uh, he knew all my past sin, and he used it, and he gave me grace. And, and that's the greatness of God. And so when we mess up, uh, and we all surely will mess up, nobody gets through this life without messing up, uh, there's always grace. There's always a God who's willing uh, to redeem or buy back uh, the mess that we've made and, and make something beautiful out of our sin. Uh, but it's far better if we avoid the sin in the first place. And so that's what I want to talk to us about today. So remember the two <clears throat> overarching principles that I talked about from last week, and they were from Proverbs uh, chapter 9 first. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we said last week that you cannot make Wise decisions, decisions that are pleasing to God, unless you first fear God. And fear of God means reverence and awe, that you want to live and walk according to his will. And the second principle was from Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus asked, what was the greatest commandment in the law? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he said, the second commandment or is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, all the other commandments rest. And so, uh, Jesus was telling them that if you love God, if you love others, if you fear the Lord, uh, you'll stay on the path that God has for you. And so that's what we're hoping to accomplish today. Uh, so let's look at some of the things that made Boaz a godly man. The first thing we'll see is that Boaz loved and obeyed God. God just oozed out of Boaz, right? Like if you pricked Boaz, God would just ooze from that prick that you made from him. Uh, when Boaz came to the field worker in chapter 2, verse 4, he gives, him, he gives him a greeting of God's blessing. May the Lord God be with you. Isn't that a wonderful way uh, to greet one of your employees? And then the worker returned the same exact greeting to Boaz. So what a blessing. And this seems to be the way that Boaz talked to people who crossed his path. Uh, he just had God on his heart and mind all the time. And so what a great workplace environment that that would be, to work for a boss who loved God and gave you a greeting like that every morning. You know, I owned a business. I owned a law firm for 20 years. Do you know how many times in the morning I came into my employees and said, may the Lord greet you and bless you this morning? Uh, zero is the answer to that question. Zero times uh, did I do that. Uh, I wish we had started our days like that, but that's just not the way uh, we did things, and uh, that's not the way of business anymore, right? You can get fired for that these days, uh, and maybe we should. Uh, but that's not an excuse to say that, that uh, you know, to excuse myself by saying that's not the way of business anymore. I wish that that was the way we conducted our business. But you young uh, ladies and you young men, you may be uh, the leaders in your workplace uh, someday. You may be the owner of the company, and you will be the tone setters uh, for how it's going to be in your uh, place of work. So honor God there, like Boaz honored God there. Uh, you've all been to Chick-fil-A, right? Uh, we love Chick-fil-A, and in Chick-fil-A, they honor God there, right? You can't go in there and not feel the love of God in that place, and that stems from the, from the top all the way down. So as a, as a trendsetter in your uh, workplace, you can do that. And so what I want to, to leave you, if you take one thing from this message today, young men and women, uh, it's this. I just want you to love God. I want you to love God at all times. Guard yourself against those who are going to challenge your faith when you get to college or when you get to whatever workplace environment you find yourself in. 
uh, like I told the young ladies last week. So fill yourselves up with God and, and let God pour out of you at every opportunity. Well, Boaz loved God and he obeyed God. And so because he loved God and obeyed God, uh, we see him following God's laws in verses 6 to 7. He honored the law by leaving that part of the harvest that God commanded to be left for the gleaners. They weren't allowed to harvest all the way to the corners of their field. They had to leave some for the gleaners. And so Boaz did that. He followed God's law, and God blessed him by bringing Ruth into his life. And of course, Ruth will become his wife by the end of the story. They'll have a son named Obed, Obed who will be uh, the grandfather uh, to David. And, and Ruth and Boaz are in Jesus's line of genealogy, and that's uh, an incredible blessing. Boaz lived his life in obedience to God and his laws, and his character was beyond reproach. So young men, uh, young women even, whether you're at school or whatever line of work you happen to choose, uh, there's always going to be opportunities not to obey the law, to, to find yourselves in positions of compromise and, and to cheat. You can, you can take shortcuts. You can get around the laws of the land. You can get around the laws of the company. Uh, you can even bend your own morals and ethics to get around God's law uh, if you want to do that for the sake of financial gain. And, and this might range from you know, having the answers to the test and, and cheating on your test to uh, skimming from the company's finances in various ways, stealing office supplies or uh, figuring out other ways that you can make a couple extra bucks at your uh, workplace. Uh, I was a lawyer for a long time, as you know, and uh, overbilling is a huge problem for lawyers. They have that temptation all the time to charge your clients for more time than you actually spent. So there are always opportunities in the workplace to steal and to cheat. Uh, but if you're the boss, as the tone setter, you set that tone. And if you cheat, your employees are going to cheat. They will follow your example. And if you are, uh, uphold yourselves to the highest of character, well, there's a better chance that your employees will too. So no matter what you do, you honor God by honoring his law, following the rules of the school that you're in, the company that you work for, uh, whatever it happens to be. Cheating is sin. There is no other way to say it. Even though we want to rationalize it in our minds, we can do that. Uh, but it's still sin. So conduct yourselves with the highest integrity, no matter where you are. Once you have lost your reputation for being a man of integrity, it's almost impossible to get that reputation back. So love God and obey his laws. Remember what I told the ladies last week? The world is watching, and they will watch you, and they will see what kind of character you have by the way you conduct yourselves. So Boaz loved and obeyed God. Next we'll see that Boaz loved and cared for others. We see this from verses 8 through 17. Remember, Ruth is a total stranger to Boaz, right? She comes from Moab. It's another country. Uh, and Boaz only knew of her uh, what he heard of her from uh, the, the mouths of others, by, by what Boaz uh, heard from his other workers and other people from his village. But that was enough for him. In verses 8 to 17, we see various instances where Boaz protected Ruth, how he, how he provided for Ruth, and also uh, how he prayed for Ruth. So let's look at, his, at the protection first. In verses 8 and 9, uh, it says, uh, this is Boaz speaking to Ruth. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. 
Well, women were in danger in the fields in that day. Uh, men were looking for women who became separated from the rest of them, and, and women would be attacked in the field, and that's a horrible thing, but that was a fact of life in those days. And in fact, it's a fact of life in many cultures uh, in the world, even today. Uh, but Boaz protected Ruth from the other men, from other fields, uh, by attaching uh, her to his own maid. So that was the first step. He said, don't leave my maids. Stay close to my maids. Uh, and then he commanded his own men. He, protected, he had to protect her even from his own men and commanded them not to touch her. In fact, verse 15 says not to even insult her. So not even physical attack, not even emotional attack. And what an incredible relief for Ruth to know that she would be safe from physical and emotional harm that might happen to her in the fields. And Boaz did all that he could to protect Ruth from whatever potential dangers there were in that field. And so he protected her. Then he also provided for her. In verse 10, he allowed her to drink from the water that the servants drew. Now, Remember that Ruth is a gleaner, right? She has no rights. She follows after the reapers. Uh, imagine like a homeless person in Dallas who's looking for scraps of food to eat. They have no rights to anyone's water. They have to figure that out for themselves. They've got to figure out where they're going to drink from. Uh, but Boaz gave Ruth more rights than she ever could have hoped for as a foreigner and as a widow. And Boaz gave her dignity and even elevated her status, giving her the status of a reaper saying, come sit at this table of mine and, and here's some roasted grain and dip it in the vinegar. Uh, so he really went above and beyond what she ever could have hoped for. And in verse 16, he told the reapers to purposely leave some grain behind so that Ruth could pick up that grain. Now, the law provided that if they happened to drop some grain, they had to leave it there for the gleaners to pick up. But this was totally different, telling these reapers to purposely leave some grain behind for her. And so in all these things, Boaz was extremely generous to Ruth. Uh, you know, in polls taken of young ladies for what they're looking at uh, in a young man, a sense of humor always seems to come up at the top of, of those polls. But generosity is another one that comes up. Uh, they, young ladies want a generous man who's not uh, tight with a dollar. Uh, those are two kind of indispensable qualities. So uh, for that reason, and just in general, young men, be generous with your money. Uh, generosity is a wonderful trait. Uh, if you're cheap, it says that you are clinging too tightly to the things of this world, and you're not trusting God to replenish what you have given. When you give your money away, God will replenish that money uh, and give you more and reward your generous spirit. So uh, just remember that generosity is something that really shows the love of Christ. Uh, when you see Christians who go to a restaurant and they don't leave a tip or they leave a really bad tip, that is a terrible witness to Christians. We, need to, we, we don't want a waitress to see us praying before our meal and then spending $100 in the restaurant and leaving 2 or $3. That is a terrible witness for us. So be generous. Let your walk match your talk uh, in all things. Uh, so be generous, provide for others. And then finally, Boaz prayed for Ruth. In verse 12, he says, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be in full from the Lord. Now, when you know the whole story, you know that Boaz actually fulfilled his own prayer because he married her and they had children and everything else. But I don't think at this point of the story that Boaz knew that he was going to be the fulfillment of, God's or of his own prayer to God. Uh, but that's a really neat thing about God's providence in this story. So young men, 
you are going to be looking for a wife before you know it. And last week we talked about the, uh, the qualities of a godly woman, and you ought to be looking for those qualities in her, but she's going to be looking for these qualities in you too. Uh, so let her see them in you. We protect, we provide, we pray for our women. And when you exude those qualities, you are going to look uh, to the world like a man who is worthy uh, of, of that woman and certainly a, a man who is uh, walking according to the will of God. Uh, so when we pray for our women, we show that we truly love them because we're praying to God, asking God for their blessing. And a praying man will never get too far from God. Uh, if you develop a, a strong prayer life and live a strong prayer life, you will not stray uh, too far. So get into this habit while you're young and you will find that you will not stray from it when you are older. Uh, you'll keep that all the days of your lives. So uh, he protected, he provided, and he prayed for Ruth. And next we'll see that beyond that, uh, he honored Ruth. Uh, in one to nine of chapter three, if you know the story, uh, we talked about it last week, Naomi told Ruth, go and find where Boaz is sleeping and then uncover his feet and he will tell you what to do next. And, and so Ruth did that. He went and found where Boaz was sleeping and then uncovered his feet. And Boaz was certainly startled by that. He didn't expect that. But then Ruth identified herself and essentially proposed marriage to him. Uh, and so Boaz was in a position of authority and power. And he probably could have done whatever he wanted at that point with her, but he treated her with respect and dignity. He did not take advantage of her. So let's see what he did do in verses 10 through 13. He said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask for all my people in the city Know that you are a woman of excellence. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a closer relative than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. Last week, I told you young ladies not to give your virginity away to a young man who doesn't care about you, who is not committed to God and committed to you through marriage. And I say the same thing to you men this week. Your virginity is a gift that you will give to your wives on your wedding day, just like you want her to give that gift to you. Uh, you don't want your wife to spend her life wondering uh, how she compares to the women of your past. That's not fair to her. And I understand that there is tremendous pressure as a young man to have sex. All of the men in this room have experienced that uh, because your friends will be doing it and they'll be asking why you haven't and, and you'll, you'll feel that pressure and they'll make fun of you because you haven't had sex yet, but it's okay. As Christians, you want to stand out and you want to stand up for what is right. Uh, so, it's okay if they make fun of you. That's part of the deal of being a Christian. So uh, if you're at a party uh, and a college girl is, uh, she's on you and you know what she's after, you just turn away. You walk away, even if she's practically begging you. You don't sleep with her. You just don't do it. Don't take what isn't yours and she's not yours until you've committed to her before God uh, through marriage. Uh, so don't take what's not yours. Uh, you're robbing her of her gift, and you're robbing her future husband of that gift that 
she is intending to give to him, and you're robbing your future wife of the gift that you should be giving to her on her wedding night. Uh, so if you happen to see a girl at a party and she's had too much to drink, and you'll see that when you go to college, you'll see that at parties. And then what you'll see next is the boys start to hover around her like vultures looking for a kill. That's what will happen uh, because they see an opportunity there and they will compete over her. Don't you, young men, be one of those guys. You get her out of the party. You get her home safely. You'll have to love sacrificially to do that. You're going to miss the party if you do that, right? If you take this girl home and you're going to have a bunch of guys mad at you because you spoiled somebody's opportunity, but it's okay. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to miss the party. There's going to be other parties. You take care of this young lady. Boaz did not sleep with Ruth. Uh, instead, he gushed about her kindness in choosing him when she may have been able to choose a younger man. And Boaz then promised that he would do all he could to try to marry Ruth. But the problem was that there was a closer relative uh, to her than Boaz. And that person would have to be offered uh, the opportunity to redeem the land and to redeem Ruth with her first. And then if that person didn't want to redeem, then Boaz could step up and do that. So we see Boaz honoring Ruth here in several ways. He promised to do all that he could do lawfully to take her as his wife. Uh, he also protected her reputation. If you look at verse 14, he sent her out before everybody woke up so that people wouldn't start to gossip and talk about what Ruth had been doing there because people gossip, right? 3,000 years ago they did it, they do it today. Uh, so he wanted to protect Ruth from, uh, from that so they wouldn't uh, ruin her reputation. And then in verse 15, he was very generous towards her, uh, piling six measures of barley uh, on her, which would provide in abundance for both her and for Naomi. So this is, this is Boaz, just going about honoring people and honoring Ruth in particular. And so what I want to say to our young men and really to all our men is that we need to honor our wives, our girlfriends, whoever it is that we happen to be in a relationship uh, right now. Our wives need to know that, that they are the only one for us and that nothing comes between us and our wives except for God. That's it. She's the only one for you. Marriages, of course, are torn apart by infidelity, uh, but they're also torn apart by uh, one of the biggest destroyers of men and marriage today, and that's pornography. And I just want to say a couple of words about it. Um, you know, pornography, it's a wicked evil, and it's everywhere. And, and people from age 10 to age 100 struggle with pornography. And, you know, when I was young, you'd have to find a magazine somewhere to get your hands on it. Now it's at your fingertips with your smartphones. You can have it in, the, in one click uh, if you want to. And so it's a very scary thing. And pornography seems like a, wit a victimless crime, right? Who cares if some guy is sitting in, at home in front of his computer screen watching it? How does that hurt anybody? Uh, but you need to understand that it is completely dishonoring to your wife, your significant other, uh, if you're sitting home watching that. You have chosen some fantasy woman on a screen over her. And your wife, your girlfriend, isn't going to look like that woman on the screen. And she's not going to do the things that the woman on the screen is doing. Uh, and even if your wife looks like that on your wedding day, over time, she's not going to, right? It just doesn't happen that way. We don't live in the Garden of Eden. Uh, so you're going to dishonor your wife, and 
and you're going to lose interest in your wife because she's not going to be as exciting and, and as sexy as what you see on that screen day after day. And she's always going to wonder whether she measures up and, and whether she's pleasing to you. Pornography is utterly demeaning to women. It has only one thing as its object, and that is uh, to please the man. Uh, and you may not realize that oftentimes, off-camera, there's a gun being pointed at these women's heads, making them do what they're doing on the screen. These women are often victims of trafficking. They're, they're somebody's daughter. They're somebody's uh, son, or, or, or I'm sorry, somebody's daughter, somebody's sister. You know, uh, that, That's who these ladies are. So uh, we want to be sure that, that we honor them for who they are and honor our own wives and not, not uh, make them compare themselves to that. Uh, there's nothing sexy about a woman off screen having a gun pointed to her head, making her do the things that you see her doing on screen. And aside from all that, pornography is going to change you, men. It will change you. You can't look at pornography and still look at your wife the same way. It's impossible. It will make you mean. It will make you angry. It will make you frustrated when your sex life doesn't compare to what you see uh, on the screen. And it will make you insecure. and It will give you feelings of insecurity and and inferiority because you won't look like the men on the screen either. I have news for you. So we're all going to be comparing ourselves to what we see on the screen. Uh, it's the work of Satan to tear apart marriages. That's what he wants to do, and pornography is one of his greatest tools for doing that. So even if you don't have a significant other yet, pornography is going to ruin your mindset for that significant other someday. It's going to create unrealistic expectations of what you uh, are hoping for in a wife. And it's as dishonoring to your marriage as if you were uh, sleeping with a real woman in your own wedding bed who is not your wife. Uh, so it's addictive also. It's as, as addictive as any drug there is. So just don't get yourselves... Uh, involved in that evil. Honor your wife, honor your significant other by keeping your marriage bed pure, keeping your mind pure. Uh, don't get yourself into that mindset. So Boaz honored Ruth, and let's finally see that Boaz was a man of his word. Immediately the next morning, Boaz went up to the city gate to find this next uh, close relative and, and try to see uh, if he wanted to redeem Ruth or if Boaz would have the opportunity to do it. So uh, he asked this, this kinsman redeemer, the, this closer relative, uh, do you want to buy uh, this land back? And if you do, you have to take Ruth with the land. Well, he wanted the land, obviously, but uh, when he found out that it was a package deal and that Ruth comes with the land, he didn't want it anymore because that would mean that he would have to raise up uh, heirs through Ruth. That was the, that was the deal. With the land, when the, when the widow uh, died, she had to be given heirs by the person who redeemed the land. And this kinsman redeemer did not want to have to split the inheritance between the kids that, she, uh, that he currently had and the kids that he would have with Ruth. So he denied his right to redeem uh, Ruth. And then Boaz immediately agreed in public in the city at the gate that he would redeem uh, the land and Ruth just as he had promised. And they were married soon after. Boaz was a man of action Boaz was a man of integrity. If Boaz said he was going to do something, he did it. He didn't rest on anything. Uh, he, the, he, he just went out and did what he said he was going to do. So, young men, your word is your bond, and you need to do what you say you are going to do. Uh, a broken promise is a sin against God. You know, when I, when I was doing law, I was looking at a lot of contracts, and we have contracts that are over 100 pages long. Why? Because people are trying to figure out how to get out of them, right? People don't do what they say. 
Our word should be our handshake, right? We say we're going to do it. We do it. And that's the kind of, of man that Ruth was. So do what you, or that Boaz was. Do what you say. Be men of integrity. Well, the story has a fairy tale ending, right? They get married. They have a son. The son's name is Obed. Obed turns out to be the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. And so uh, Ruth and Boaz were David's great-grandparents and ancestors of Jesus. And what a rich blessing that is. Uh, They were rewarded greatly uh, for being godly men and godly women. So young men, when you love God, when you love others, when you do things God's way in God's timing, you will honor and glorify God and others, and God will give you a blessing too. So as we close, let me give you four things that I wish I knew when I was a young man of your age. And here's the first one. There really is a God, and he is in control of all things. I didn't know that when I was your age. I did not believe in God when I was a young college student. You can't read the book of Ruth and not see God's hands all over it. There is providence from the first word to the last in that book. All of the coincidences that you see in the book are God working out his plan uh, that Ruth and Boaz would be married and that they would be in the line of Jesus for God's own glory. And in the same way, when you look at creation, you can't deny that there is a creator. Uh, Something cannot come from nothing, right? Matter cannot create itself. Life can't arise from non-life. All these things we know when we look around. I don't want you to deny these things as I did. Uh, The universe in all its grandeur shows that it has a creator. And when your college professors tell you that it's nonsense, well, you just remember what your Bible says. In the beginning, God created. So the whole universe points to God. And and I, I may have known that at the time. I may have just been rejecting it for my own purposes, but uh, I wish I had known that and lived that at that time. Here's the second thing. God loves us and wants to save us from his wrath. I didn't know that when I was uh, a young man. Uh, God sent his son to take the punishment for my sins, and all who believe in the son will have eternal life. When I was young, uh, I believed in God, like a young teenager and younger than that. I believed in God, but I did not understand the gospel. I thought that you could get to heaven by being a good person, by doing good works. And now I know that you can never be a good enough person to get to heaven on your own merit. Only by the blood of Jesus can we get into heaven. That's grace. But God's grace is not meant to be a license for sin. In fact, when you know what your sin cost Jesus on the cross, you will not want to sin anymore. Your sin will become repulsive to you. It'll bother you and weigh on your conscience. And when you look at the life of Boaz, There's not a hint of sin in this man's life that we can see. Now, obviously, we're all sinners, but Boaz lived an upstanding life, a life that glorified God and did not use grace as a license for sin. Now, I know you're thinking, well, God has so many rules, and he's he's just not a fun guy, God. He's not fun. But God is not a cosmic fun kill. He knows what your sin is going to lead to, and he wants to protect you from it. And so that's why he puts laws in place. What seems fun now will have great cost attached to it later. Uh, Chuck Swindoll says it like this. I love this quote. Sin takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. And the idea behind that is that you may stick your toe in the water of sin and think that it's going to be, I'm just going to dabble, and then I can get out. But it's never like that. You, you go where you don't want to go, you stay longer than you want to stay, and you pay more than you want to pay. And so 
Uh, that's all true. And if we, if we submit to God, he will protect us from the pain and the penalty of sin. Here's the third thing. One of God's most precious gifts to us is time. You know, when you're young, you think you have all the time in the world. And if you look around this room, young people, you look at a lot of people who don't believe they have all the time in the world anymore. And I'm one of them, right? Uh, time keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking into the future, as Steve Miller said. And it's true. We run out of time. Uh, the older you get, the more you value time. You realize time is a precious gift from God, and it's not to be wasted. And I would love to have back my wasted years. We only get one go round in this life and it goes really fast. So I think of Boaz as an older man. When he had the opportunity to marry Ruth, he wasted no time. He went out and he got what he was able to get being able to marry Ruth. He was a man of action, a man of doing. Uh, God has saved you and he has work for you to do, young men. Uh, there are a million ways to waste time and a, will, a million ways to waste your life, and I pray that you won't do that. Don't waste the precious time that he has given you. Uh, look for ways to serve God and to grow closer to him. Here's the fourth thing. God is omniscient, and I am not, and neither are you. When I was a young man, I thought I knew everything. I thought I didn't need God. I didn't need any godly wisdom. I didn't need any wisdom from any other people. I mean, when you're 17, you know everything, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. We all think that, but then we grow up and we realize that we just don't know all that, that there is to know. Uh, I was a proud young man, and God finally got a hold of me and showed me that I was a fool and that I was living like a fool all of these years. But by his grace, he saved me while I was still his enemy, and I praise God for that. And by grace, he began to change me and try to conform me more and more to his character. And that's hard to do when you have a rebellious spirit like I have. Uh, and like we all have. So I still have a long way to go, and, and I'm sure many of you feel the same way, but, but God said, uh, he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And so we continue to become more Christ-like as we, as we live. Ruth and Boaz submitted to God's sovereignty and to God's will, and they were greatly blessed. Now, men, I want to say the same thing to you as I said to the ladies last week. If you have messed up, if you've found yourself in a life of sin, if you're using porn or alcohol or drugs or gambling, if you've had sex before you're married, or if you're struggling with a same-sex attraction, or if you steal, if you lie, if you cheat on your tests or your taxes, if you're having a physical or emotional or online relationship that you know is inappropriate, uh, I want you to just stop. Find help. Don't rationalize it. Stop it now. Stop doing it and know that there is always, always, always grace from God. Romans 8.1 says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means no condemnation, no guilt, no shame. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you and for that sin. So don't carry it around like a sack of bricks. If you've had a sin like that, just confess it. Leave it at the foot of the cross. Thank God for it. And thank God for the sacrifice of his son. God has already forgotten that sin because of the blood of Jesus. Young man, I just pray today that these words will encourage you. I, I pray that it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a list of what God wants you and me to be. And so we walk through our lives trying to become more Christ-like because he wants the best for you. And these rules that he puts down are so that you will experience his best. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. 
Lord, sometimes we have to talk about difficult subjects. And uh, Lord, sometimes uh, it can sound like a beating that we take uh, in your word. And, and sometimes it sounds like a beating from this pulpit. I pray it doesn't come across that way, Lord. I pray that uh, we will all understand that you are a God of grace and that you want us to live according to your will so that we can experience your best. And Lord, your best is your son. And we are so grateful for your son who died on the cross for us so that we could have eternal life, Lord. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.